I was looking at a sweater and it was really cute. It was gray, it had beading on it and I pulled it off the top hanger and I looked at the price tag and I quickly did the math of how many hours I would have to work at my fast food restaurant job and that it was gonna be a week and a half work for this sweater. And I was like, I don't think this sweater is worth all that grease. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Exactly. <laughs> this is how many burger flips for this one little sleeve. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to the Women's Wealth Canada podcast with Glory Gray. Be sure to download and subscribe using your favorite podcast app and like us on Facebook. Hi everyone, I'm Glory Gray and welcome to the Women's Wealth Canada podcast. During the past two years, there's been a lot of talk about how young people are getting interested in investing in a younger age than earlier generations. I have to say, I'm really excited about this. Yes, there will be downturns in the markets during their lifetime, and yes, they will learn some hard lessons, but think of how much farther ahead they'll be when they reach middle age. Think of the independence they'll have to choose their career paths and even family planning choices. Earlier this season, I shared with you a few life stories of my clients, And these are women who have gracefully navigated life and used their wealth as tools for living a beautiful life. In all of their cases, their life lessons were a journey. And in all cases, they have built confidence by going through that journey. But I'll bet there are some things they wish they had told their younger selves. And if they had shared this wisdom with their younger selves, maybe they would have gotten farther ahead in their goals, or maybe they just would have done things differently. What would you tell your 20-year-old self about money? Here to talk about that subject is Lisa Hanam. Lisa is the executive editor of Money Sense magazine. I'm sure you've heard of this magazine. It started publication in 1999. I always saw it in the grocery store check stand. Like many magazines, it moved to a digital-only format recently. And Lisa has been a leading force in the success of the financial magazine with her effective financial advice and her quick ability to pick up on stories that provide real value to Canadians. According to a study by FP Canada, 47% of young Canadians aged 18 to 34 are planning to save more money in 2022. Managing money as a young person with a growing list of responsibilities can be a challenge, And between living expenses, student loan debt, saving for the future, and fear of missing out, young people often feel these pressures to keep up financially. And Lisa is one of those who was ahead of the game. She was an active saver in her 20s. But even she would have done a few things differently. Come and listen in as Lisa and I talk about what I wish I had told my 20-year-old self. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self about money? I think what I would tell my 20-year-old self would be, um, you are in the right to save. Because I remember being so young and putting away money every paycheck and my friends being like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Calm down. (laughs) But I think I was just more or less opening up a maybe an idea to them that they should be doing something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So I would definitely tell her, you're doing okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's tough keeping up with the Joneses when you're young. You know, when you're young, you want to be considered you want to be part of everything you want to be included you want to you want to feel like you're not an outsider what do you think about that about is there a lot of pressure to keep up with the joneses when we're younger i think keeping up with the joneses is very expensive Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think it also changes how you value your what you spend money on or what you're saving for because it no longer is about you it's about like a scope of a group of people, whether that's real people in your friend group or just like what the average person is doing or what you want to see on TV. I guess nowadays it would be on social media. Um, but yeah, it's very expensive and it's not really something I care about. <laughs> Kudos to you for recognizing that at such an age because it, it is tough. It is. Yeah. Like we had friends who were buying houses and we were still renting. And I, and I remember thinking they were like, aren't you, why aren't you buying a house yet? And I was like, I don't want to take care of a house, (laughs) (laughs) but now, but now I'm good. I have a house (laughs) when I was ready. There must've been a point where they began to look towards you and say, Oh, Lisa's doing it right. Do you remember what that point was? Um, it was when I, so I, I would, blindly put away money into my RSPs and my first job um, as a journalist. I went to I went to my bank and I said, set me up with some RSPs. And so we put $75 a week, or sorry, every paycheck away. And it wasn't until I think, I can't even remember how old I was, but I remember opening up my bank account and looking in and being like, whoa, there, that's over a year's salary. Wow. You've arrived. (laughs) I don't know if I arrived, but I was definitely like, that's more money than like anyone would pay me. And I'm just paying myself now. (laughs) Oh, and then that's when they, your friends started paying attention to what you were doing. Wow. Yeah. And they, yeah, actually I had one friend say to me, she, the only reason she even started saving is because she was so impressed with how much I had saved. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And then you're, you're a role, a role model. (laughs) Do you remember what gave you the idea? So you said that you started to save a a bit um, with each paycheck. What gave you the idea to even start that? I was on the TTC and I looked up and there was an ad and it said something along the lines of like, do you have retirement savings? And then I was like, no, because I have a job that didn't have a pension and to be honest, I didn't even know how to get a job with a pension. <laughs> so I was just like, well, I guess I should get an RSP. <laughs> so yeah, so then I went to my bank and I made an appointment and I said, uh, set me up with an RSP. And we took out my contributions on a we- bi-weekly basis, um, 75 bucks. And obviously I've, I've boosted that as like I, as I moved forward in my career and made a little bit more money. So the only thing I said to him was, uh, just make sure there's some gold in there. (laughs) (laughs) Some gold. (laughs) That's great. And did you end up putting gold into it? He said that I couldn't like directly invest in gold, but that it would definitely be a part of it. (laughs) You were thinking you'd walk out of there with a couple of gold bars in your pocket? (laughs) So what types of things did we learn as children and young adults that shape these attitudes that we have with money? So my first money memory, if we can call it that, um, I remember being at the Byway store in the aisleway and wanting a chocolate bar. And then 
me asking my mom and me thinking in my head, is this a day where she's going to let me have it? Or is this a day that she's not going to let me have it? And her either telling me money doesn't grow on trees, Lisa, or today's a treat and you can have this chocolate bar. So it definitely created the idea in my head of um, spending money as a treat. You know, I, I always like to use the term mindful spending plan as opposed to budget. It's, that's kind of what your mother was teaching you at the same time. She was showing you, okay, if you want this chocolate bar, uh, but you wanted to go to soccer camp, for example, Lisa, and soccer camp costs 200 of these chocolate bars. <laughs> so which do you want? Do you think that we could help families have these discussions better? Yeah, I think anytime you show a child a perspective of how they are within whatever environment they're in, I think that's helpful. And just that lesson that you were just talking about, like understanding the value of money and what you spend it on, not all things are equal, right? And making that decision between a chocolate bar and soccer camp, I don't know how many kids would say they would rather have a single chocolate bar, <laughs> unless they were scheming and going to be like, you're going to take me to soccer camp anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and hopefully it, it, it kind of empowers them to feel, okay, I have some control in my life over, over money and maybe make those comparisons because we it's such a concept you can't really relate to it but if you can make it concrete this is a chocolate bar in front of you and it's worth 200 of those are worth a soccer camp maybe it can help families start to teach their children that it's it is a concrete thing for sure for sure actually we did a, a story recently um journalist karen robach wrote it and it was um it's called Five Money Fears from Childhood and How to Overcome Them. And she outlined the five popular fears that we have from childhood into adulthood. Being unemployed, not having enough money, being a burden on friends and family, being stuck in debt, and even just talking about money. Um, but yeah, they're definitely cycles because I don't know that a child worries about being unemployed <laughs> for themselves, but that fear they can carry up with them. And create a scarcity for their entire life. Um, are there ways to break these cycles in ourselves? I think generally speaking, um, recognizing that money is like any habit we have of like overindulgence, being having a balanced approach to it. Um, but generally speaking, when it comes to about breaking cycles within yourself, um, it's about creating goals. And in order to change any habits is really building step-by-step -step strategies on achieving those goals. Back to the article, um, as for like how to break those cycles, Karen did a great job on talking about like when it came to the fear of being unemployed is actually setting yourself up with an emergency fund that takes away that fear because like I said, even said with myself and just knowing that I had a year's salary, it made me feel a bit more confident in working in the journalism field when like so many media, um, media companies were like shutting down or laying people off. Um, another, the other one was not having enough money. Um, it's really creating long-term savings goals. Uh, being a burden on friends and family is about getting a financial planner and like really looking at those times when you could be vulnerable and like setting yourself up for success for those times. Um, for being stuck in debt, that cycle. It's about having strategies for paying off debt. And then t when it comes to talking about money, 
the, the tip I really took from that article was not worrying about the numbers. When we talk about money, let's talk more in generalities. Like, let's not get too caught up in like the ego of things. Um, like for example, if you had a friend who just got a new job, ask them how they negotiated a, a better salary, right? You don't have to ask them, how much do you make now? <laughs> right. <laughs> but just that concept of how does the mechanics of negotiation work, right? Exactly. And like the money is, is, is in every facet of our lives. And so there are ways to talk about it um, without even like being offended or being too pushy. It is something that we can all relate to each other on, right? I like that concept that you were explaining that you knew from an early on that you didn't want your employer to be in charge of your financial freedom. And so you created an emergency savings plan. So you knew from early on that you were, you incorporated, Lisa incorporated, and you were going to be spending your life as basically running your own company. That's what kind of what it's like when you are in charge of, of our money and, and we're all in charge of our money. And so this idea that you knew early on that uh, you were the CEO of your own life and the CFO, I, I really applaud you for that. Oh, thank you. I really love journalism and I'm pretty altruistic about the whole endeavor. So I didn't want to give up the field and I just really wanted to not go into work and worry that if I leave this job, that my identity goes along with it. So if someone was to lay me off or a company would shutter, like how would that affect me emotionally? And a lot of it is tied into money. So the way for me to control how that would affect me emotionally was to be able to have a year or two salary saved. Also, even if I ever wanted to go, there was a point in my career when I wanted to go freelance. So in order to go freelance, anyone who's ever gone freelance will tell you that it takes a long time for people to pay. Yeah. <laughs> so having that a, a little bit of leeway of have of enough money for me to pay the bills that I knew I needed to pay and, and even not give up my lifestyle if a friend asked me to meet it for dinner or go for drinks or like check out a new gym or something that we could still do those things. That's that's so smart. That kind of reminds me of the whole conversation around financial independence, how it's not necessarily tied to an age anymore. Are you seeing a lot of that in your professional and personal life? A lot of uh, people who are financially independent at an earlier age? Yeah, for sure. Um, we actually did a recently did a story on like quitting your job during COVID. And can you think of another time in your life when we would have wrote about quitting during like, a, like an unstable economy? <laughs> Yeah. And just going off to do whatever it is that you wanted. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing time we live in, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So people are definitely, they're living purpose-driven lives, right? And really focusing on what they want out of their life and how their job fits within that. It's, it's quite competitive for employers right now. Yes, we're much more in charge of our own lives and, and they're, they're taking notice, for sure. What... Um, what money habits from our 20s should we break? I think when you're in your 20s, or at least myself, and I feel like a lot of people can relate to this, is like you go from living at home, having the fridge magically have groceries and like <laughs> borrowing 
my parents' car or whatever, and then going out on your own and having to buy those things, like pay rent, pay off student debt, um, having your first credit card, all those things. It, it's almost like we go from no debt to a ton of debt. And the way we all rationalize that is to break it down into good debt and bad debt. So I think thinking about good debt and bad debt is, is a disordered way of thinking. Um, because you're going to owe the money either way. So why create like an emotional trigger to it and just recognizing what needs to be paid down and how to pay it down and, and really paying attention to those things like interest rates. Um, cause they give you an annual interest rate, but bills don't come annually. So you are paying that monthly, monthly interest. Um, another thing I think, um, that we should break is not looking at the long-term impact of financial decisions. When you're in your 20s, it's so easy to think of like, oh, it'll be fine. What the life I'm living right now, it won't be the same years from now. And the impact of it now won't be the same. But as as you grow older, you definitely realize everything has a butterfly effect. And we can't buy time anymore. <laughs> we can't buy no. any more time. We're hoping that's in the metaverse, but I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what money habits for our 20s should we keep then? Definitely saving. I think, um, as I said to you about like the, the little bit of savings that I did have blindly putting away and not even recognizing that was coming out of my account. And then just one day being like, whoa, I can't believe I saved that. That's something that the earlier, the better that you can start. Um, so definitely keep saving and why not start later in life too, right? Yeah. But you're right that the earlier we start, the less we have to put away, which is hard to think of sometimes. You know, it feels like when we're just starting out and uh, we feel like, oh, we can't make a difference. We'll just wait another 10 years. But no, the, the, that small amount can grow and grow over time because time's on your side when you're younger. For sure. For sure. Um, another thing I think, uh, a money habit that we should keep, we just recently did an interview um Jacqueline Law, our managing editor, interviewed Andrew Hallam, author of The Millionaire Teacher. And the takeaway from his interview for me was invest in experiences. And I feel like 20 in your 20 something, that's like the number one priority when it comes to money is like investing in experiences and like taking that like amazing trip with your best friends and um, learning to do a new skill or something. I We can kind of push those things out of the way as we get older because of other priorities. But we definitely should keep that habit of investing in experiences. And when he said that, it just rang so true to me. I, I love it. And, and I had a client who said, I like to spend my money on health, knowledge, and memories. That's perfect. And and you're right. The um, Today's generation who's just now getting their start in the professional world and earning their own money, they have a whole different view. They're not going out and buying the wedding china and the crystal and the stuff. They're learning um, that it's more about the memories and it's a wiser way to spend our money. And so at what age should we feel like we're ahead? I mean, do, do we ever feel ahead? I was talking about this with a colleague of mine and she's in her 30s. And so she was like saying how she was jealous and like being my age and how I probably feel ahead. And I was like, I do? No, I don't think you ever feel ahead. And so she was a little bit gutted by what I said. But um, <laughs> the reason I think that is because our lives change and our needs for money change that it's hard to be fully prepared for those situations unless you're in those situations or near them. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to be like, 
for example, I'm not thinking about withdrawing from my RRSP yet. So it's not really in my mindset of like to learn about that now. I am obviously because I work for Money Sense, but generally speaking, I don't know that that would be on my mind and something I would look up until that, that I'm closer to that age. But to feel ahead would mean that you know it all. And I don't think that any of us <laughs> ever feel comfortable fully with money at any point in our lives. I think you're right. I think we we carry the experiences we've had earlier and every day that we're above the sod is a new lesson, a new education. So it it, it never really, I mean, I, I have certainly re- retirees and some of them are retired. Then all of a sudden they're, they realize, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought retirement was going to be. And now they're learning how to re- retire. And uh, yeah, the, the lessons, I think you're right. We never really feel like, well, we've made it. We're ahead. Well, and I also think too, like if you were to plop yourself out now and put yourself as like whatever age right now, the rules have changed anyway. So <laughs> Like anything you did learn, it it's not of any use to anyone other than you. <laughs> You're right, and uh, <laughs> e- even the gender roles. If if you have a, a partnership that that's male and female traditionally, mm-hmm. uh, then the experience that they have now compared to in the '60s, women couldn't even get a credit card without a sign off from their husbands. So blows those, my mind. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So you're right. It's 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 changing all the time, <laughs> for sure. Do you have any funny um, spending or money habits from your youth? I have this funny one. Um, I remember being in Jacob. Do you remember that retail store? Yeah. And I was looking at a sweater and it was really cute. It was gray. It had beading on it. And I pulled it off the top hanger and I looked at the price tag and I quickly did the math of how many hours I would have to work at my fast food restaurant job and that it was going to be a week and a half work (laughs) for this sweater. And I was like... I don't think this sweater is worth all that grease. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Exactly. <laughs> this is how many burger flips for this one little sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that financial literacy ever stops? That we ever stop learning? No. I. In order to say that it stops, it means that you're done learning. And at what point can you imagine being done learning about money? I hope we stay curious. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's 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 a part of every aspect of our lives. So it's so complex and yet so easy at the same time. So we should be curious. You're right. So we'll we'll just keep on keeping on. Thanks so much for being with us on the Women's Wealth Canada podcast today, Lisa. Thank you for having me. After the microphones were turned off, Lisa and I talked about paying off debt. When we're in our 20s, we go from having no debt to having our first credit cards, student loan debt, and even our first mortgage sometimes. It can be overwhelming. If you're feeling overwhelmed with debt, you can attack it in a few ways. You can use the snowball method, or you can use the avalanche method. With the debt snowball method, you write down all the people or companies you owe, like Visa card, student loan, Uncle Jim, etc. And next to the name, you write down how much money you owe them. Then, sort that list in order of the smallest amount of money you owe to the largest amount of money you owe. 
Add up all the minimum payments you must pay and decide how much extra you can pay towards paying off your debt. Let's say you want to pay $100 more each month towards paying off your debt. Then you start by putting that extra $100 towards paying the smallest amount first. That's right, the smallest amount, not the largest. This way you're creating a snowball, balling up the smallest balances you owe, paying them off completely, then starting to put that extra money towards paying off the larger balances until your debt snowball is completely paid off. The advantage to this method is you can get past that feeling of being overwhelmed because you owe so many people money. You may even get rid of an entire debt every month for the first few months. The second method is the avalanche method. In the debt avalanche method, you pay off your debts from the highest interest rate to lowest interest rate, regardless of how much you owe to each company. So if your credit card charges you 20% annually in interest and your student loan charges you 10% annually, you would take that $100 extra each month we talked about earlier and use it to pay extra to the credit card that charges 20%, even if you owe more money on the student loan. Now, which method is best, the snowball or the avalanche? From a pure mathematical perspective, you will pay less money in interest and likely pay off the entire debt faster using the avalanche method. However, the difference is really negligible. I think it's better just to pick a method that appeals to you, the one you'll stick with, and just do it. The most important thing is, once you pay off credit card debt, never ever spend more on a credit card than you can pay off every month. Credit cards charge 19.99% right now in Canada. I've seen money that people have saved for their entire lives whittle down to nothing in a few short years because they had to spend so much of it just paying back the credit card. My guest Lisa Hanam and I both have a mission to help young people understand their finances and motivate them to stay on their savings journey. I hope you'll share this podcast episode with some of the young people you know and let them know they can check out Money Sense magazine at moneysense.ca for great tips on how to manage their finances. They can visit as often as they wish. It's free. Are you going through a life transition and need to find a financial advisor to manage your investments? You don't have to feel intimidated wondering how to find the right one. Grab my free guide, 12 Smart Questions to Ask When Interviewing a Financial Advisor. This guide gives you all the questions and why you should ask them. Just go to glorygray.com, pop in your email address, and we'll send it right to your inbox. Until next time, this is Glory Gray, your personal trainer for financial fitness, telling you to take charge of your finances, plan for the future, but most of all, enjoy today. And bye for now. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Mutual funds offered through Portfolio Strategies Corporation. Other products and services provided through Glory Gray Wealth Solutions.